This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. Like Chad said, we are uh, in our James series and he'll be concluding next week, but I am sharing in chapter four today and uh, I'm excited to share with you. And just a background of James, uh, James is a book of the Bible in the New Testament and James is the half brother of Jesus. The artist formerly known as Jacob was his previous name and uh, he w- did not say yes to Jesus and to salvation during Jesus's ministry on earth. So he witnessed miracles and uh, he saw different things take place, but he didn't say yes to Jesus until the resurrection, until there was death to life. So maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Let me just tell you that it's never too late. And uh, we invite you to come in at any time. And, uh, and James, uh, James comes, you know, when you're new to your journey with Jesus, James comes in with passion and tenacity. He almost comes in like a father figure, and he shoots it straight, and uh, it's direct, and it's hard to hear a little bit, uh, but he believes that uh, the audience, which is Jewish believers, would, in essence, Christians, you and I, churchgoers, that we should not only receive grace, but that we should be living as Christ-like, and so he gives us keys and tools and um, sometimes a little ouchy things to help guide us in um, ouchy. Is that such a mom word? I'm sorry. Do you want a Band-Aid on your boo-boo? Okay, just kidding. Let's get too far. But uh, no, it's great. Uh, last night I told Chad, I said, okay, these, these verses are a little harsh and I'm the mom of the house and I just want to come in and give everyone a big hug. And uh, sometimes after Chad disciplines our kids, um, I sneak in to the room and I just give them a big hug. And I don't know if that's like parenting great. If, if you have uh, advice, you can just email info at zoechurch.org. But um, I'm like, I just want to give everyone a big hug because this might hurt a little bit. But we'll, we'll encourage at the same time. But James is coming, and he's, uh, he's shooting it straight. And so we're picking up in James chapter 4. But before we do, give it up for this phenomenal band. We love you. You're unbelievable. And uh, how many of you guys loved the message last week about taming the tongue and the power of words? Unbelievable. Um, and Chad has so beautifully illustrated um, in the last three weeks uh, different ways that actually have really helped shape and change me already. And I'm committed to get better as a Christian. And, uh, you know, just because I'm the one holding the microphone and I'm help leading this uh, community of people, uh, I just want to commit to you that we're always going to strive to be better. And I want to invite you along on that journey. But James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Then you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Anyone feeling uplifted and encouraged already? No one's like, amen. Okay. 
Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? But he gives us more grace. Aren't you thankful for grace? But how about more grace? This, that is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, he's addressing the church, you and I, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? If you're taking notes, um, I have titled this message this afternoon, Fight to Win the War Within. Fight to Win the War Within. Let's go ahead and pray one more time. God, we're so grateful. We're thank you, thankful this afternoon for your grace and your salvation that you rescued us, that you have loved us so much that you pulled us out. But God, I thank you for these words that will continue to help change us and shape us, that we can walk as mature Christians, that we would have an open heart, that you would produce character within us today. God, we thank you for your goodness and your beauty and your charcuterie boards. And all my non-vegan friends said, that was really sad, but that's okay. Okay. Um, Chad and I are both firstborns. Any firstborns here? Okay. We have a few. Loud and proud. And uh, we're the best, <laughs> the superior race. Uh, we, uh, we know that uh, our way is the best way, and we're very good at making decisions and knowing what we want. And um, they say, and I don't know who they is, like some psychologist, they say that two firstborns getting married is probably not uh, the, the product for a peaceful environment. So, um, so Chad and I are strong, and uh, we have fought before. And when I say when, I mean we've fought a lot. And, um, but we make up, too, so there's that. Okay, and then uh, we have uh, four kids, and we have all strong kids because they're a product of two strong parents. And my daughter, Georgia, she's seven, and uh, she is uh, unbelievable, and she is uh, special needs. But since day one, she's been a fighter and beaten all odds, and she is stronger than we ever thought she would be. And um, my son, Winston, he's five, and uh, since he had a passy in his mouth, he would pull you and tell you where he would want you to sit. To this day, he has an opinion about every single stinking frickin' thing. And um, sorry, Valley, I love you. I don't know if we can say that word. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll be back next week. And um, 
And he, uh, I am submitting him to law school already because he is a phenomenal debater. And uh, my son Maverick is also strong, but he's strong and wild. So dear Lord Jesus, help me. And then the youngest, um, he was up all night demonstrating his strength (laughs) to me last night in the form of not sleeping. So uh, we just have strong, all strong. And so so we know how to, um, as James says, quarrel. Say that word five times fast. I dare you. But, um, yeah, yeah, quarrel, quarrel, quarrel. No? Okay. And... um, and we, we have experienced that before. And in fact, uh, my, my two boys last week, I was trying to get them to submit to their mother. And I was using my real, like, I'm in charge mom voice. And I said, listen to me. Winston, Maverick, listen to mom. Who is in charge here? And uh, both of them at the same time, they just slowly raised their hands as high as they can. And... Um, so that's a little bit of like our home, and uh, <laughs> but um, basically what James is addressing as he's talking to the church and as he's talking to Christians, he's saying that you guys um, are fighting or quarreling amongst each other, and uh, what is basically a quarrel is is a, a fight that is not necessarily external, but that it's a fight that's internal because you're fighting over something that doesn't really matter. And uh, you're fighting generally with the people that you love the most, the people that you're on the same team with. And in this context, brothers and sisters, as James is calling it, those who are like-minded with us. We're not debating against those who are enemies or against us. We are arguing with those who are our teammates, those that we love the most, those that we should be for the most. And uh, he's addressing this Christian audience of believers, and he starts talking about how uh, how and why we fight. And uh, he starts off with a question, and he said, you know, he says, why, do we, why are we fighting? Why are we going around fighting? And then he answers his question with a question. Now, have you um, ever had a parent that answered a question with a question? You know, I'm asking my husband, um, honey, how do you feel like you're doing as a husband? Would you give yourself an A? You know, like, yeah. no, anyone else? Okay. Um, but he's, he's, he's starting to get into the why, and he's addressing that the reason why we fight and the reason why we war is because it's an in- internal issue. The real war is the one that we wrestle with him. The real fight is the one that's within us as individuals. And... Uh, and, you know, Chad and I have had our disputes or our arguments, but if you're married here, you know that it stems from something so ridiculous. In our first year of marriage, our, one, our biggest argument that we had in our first year of marriage in 2008 was over what apple is superior. Now, he is from Team Red Delicious mushy in the middle, teacher love it, you know, just don't, you know. And I am from the superior, crisp, honey crisp, melts in your mouth. I mean, you know, just like, 
and so you just, you, you, you know, you, we just have these little things that stem up and it just is stupid and it escalates. And, and, and what is he referring to when he's saying, why do we fight? He's saying we fight because we want what we want. Come on, if you've ever had a toddler, you understand what their first words are. Mine. You ever seen a two-year-old run around and say, yours? <laughs> no, 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 no. Our innate nature is to want ours. The heart wants what it wants. I'm going to get mine. You know, we wake up. 99% of us, there might be a few saints of the Lord in this room, thinking about what do I need right now? What do I want right now? What can I get today? Imagine if I woke up and I ran to the bathroom and put on my makeup like Marvelous Miss Maisel and I came out with lipstick on and I looked at my husband and then, um, I handed him his coffee and I said, good morning, babe. What do you want today? And uh, he looks around like this is a trick question. And um, I said, no, 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 sweetheart. What do you want today? He thinks about it and he's like, well, if it's okay, I, I think golfing, question mark, sounds pretty good. Yes! I think that you should go chase a white ball for six hours. We do not have any children. It's do it. Do what is in your heart. Then he comes home, and I'm in an outfit change with, like, a silk gown. Sweetheart, what else do you want to do today? And he's like, this is awesome. Maybe, um... Maybe a massage sounds good. I'm like, of course. Your back must hurt from sleeping without children on top of you all night. Absolutely. What daddy wants, daddy gets. No! That is not how most of us live our lives. We talk about what we want. We talk about our needs. We talk about our desires. We discuss our dreams. We discuss our things. Now listen, uh, all of us have been given a beautiful gift to desire. And, and I believe that God produces desires and dreams within all of us. But James isn't referring to that specifically. What is a desire? Desire it is, a, is a pursuit of pleasure. And who gives us pleasure? God gives us pleasure. God wants us to live in a life full of pleasure. He wants us to live fulfilled and content. That's his plan. But what he's talking about in this context is that what happens when we don't get what we want? And I thought about that last night, truly. I asked myself, what happens when I don't get what I want? What happens in that place? And what James goes on to say in verse 2 is that we desire, but we do not have. So here it is. 
So we want something. We're all born with the desire to want. We're all born wanting something. And then when we don't get it, we live in the place of I don't have. Now, there's two types of people, and there's one that has, like, a perpetual gratitude. And I really do feel like gratitude fuels joy, and joy fuels gratitude, and, and, and back and forth. And it's like a beautiful cycle and circle. And, and, but at the same time, there's, there's those of us, and I've fallen accustomed to this many times, that I dwell on what I don't have. And it produces in me, it, it births within me a, a discontentment, an unsatisfaction. And then what happens, that starts to breathe, I don't have this, I don't have what they have, I don't have their joy, I don't have their looks, I don't have this, I don't have that. And it starts to birth within me a, a disgruntled bitterness, ugly spirit within me and I thought to myself what happens when we don't get what we want and he James begins to describe what what happens to us what begins to take root within what begins to war within our soul and he says in um in verse two he says the desire I think we have it we can put it up it says it says, you desire, but you do not have, so you, you take action. And then, and then what we, go, we go on, and it says, you covet, but you cannot get. So, so then, then what happens when we dwell on what we don't have, we begin to dwell on what they have. So then we want what, what they have, which seemingly seems better. Seemingly seems like... If I just had that, th that would make me happy. And uh, I, I actually feel that I want it so bad, I feel entitled. And we walk around with an entitled mentality that, that we feel like we're owed that or we're deserved their blessing. Can I just tell you, none of us in here deserve we, we don't actually want what we deserve. Let's put it that way. We really don't. Because God in his beauty and his goodness and his loving grace gave us so much more. He gave us more than we deserve. And he gave us that gift and we've received that grace. But, but we walk around without the perspective that what we have is enough. And what God's given us is enough for a recipe for a fulfilled, joyful, happy life. And so James starts addressing the audience and he's, he's, he's imploring them to mature in their mentality. And he's basically saying, you have not because you ask not. Now, I grew up in church, and I used to use this expression flippantly. And I used to say, like, ooh, parking spot in front of Jones on 3rd, going to get me my chicken salad. God, I need that parking spot. You have not because you ask not. You know, just like, I want my husband's legs. You have not because you ask not. I mean, just like, all, you know, all these things. Like, we go around, like, God, I just ask you for that. But what he's referencing to is that 
we don't have stuff. What we have is the mentality or the mindset that us plus Jesus is actually all we need. You know, do we have the capacity or the maturity to receive what we're actually asking for? If you were to receive the specific things that you've been asking for, would it truly make you happy? I don't know. I don't know the answer for myself. And as I'm challenged reading this, I start thinking about, God, I, I, I know that Chad and I are standing up here believing for a miracle, and I believe in miracles, and I know that God is going to come through and give us the miracle in his timing, not our timing, but in his timing. And I believe that he can do it because he said he would. But am I living in a contentment and a fulfillment and I'm depending on God, and with that, I actually have, that's the word, all that I need. And is that gratitude producing joy, and the joy is producing gratitude, and on and on and on? Because that's what James is saying, is a responsible heart that God wants to gravitate towards. And, um, and then he continues on, and he says, you know, you have and you ask, and, um, and, but a lot of you are asking wrongly. And you're, you're saying, God, you know, I want this for me. And, uh, and, and he, you know, he starts talking about what that sounds like as we're disgruntled and we're negative and we have selfish ambition. And, uh, you know, in the Israelites... Uh, after they were freed and they received their miracle of coming out of slavery, they, they, they started grumbling in the desert to Moses. Exodus 17, 2, it says they quarreled, there's the word again, with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Where is it? Where is our thing? I want more. I want more. You know, when we dwell on the have not or we dwell on what we don't have, we start gazing our eyes on all that we don't have. We start fixing our eyes on negative things, and it starts to produce more and more. And, and before we know it, we sound, but we can't even see it in ourselves, we sound like the complainers in the desert. And, and I just, I, I read this context of Scripture, and I'm challenged to, to ask myself, what am I actually looking at? What am I fixing my eyes on? Am I looking at what I don't have? Am I looking at what they have? Am I looking at where I'm short or my shortcomings or what I don't have? What am I focusing on that produces in me a heart of a mature Christian? What am I gazing my eyes on? And I love that so much because if we can just fix our eyes on Jesus, what does it say? It says, taste and see that the Lord is what? Is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What, what does a fighter and a quarreler look like? Look at some of these scriptures in Proverbs as it begins to describe 
what the attributes or the appearance of a fighter looks like as a Christian. Proverbs 17, 14, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. So it's someone that has collateral damage. Proverbs 17, 19, whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Whoever builds a high gate invites destruction. So it's someone that's destructive. Proverbs 18, 1, an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. So they're unfriendly, unkind, unattractive. Proverbs 19, 13, a foolish child is a father's ruins and a quarrelsome wife is like the constant drip, drip, drip of a leaking roof. She drips and annoying. Proverbs 23. It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel, so they're foolish. Next one, better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house where there she is, a quarrelsome wife. Oh, she's unbearable to be around. Proverbs 21, 19. Better to live in a desert than a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Impossible to live with. Do not look at your spouse right now. Proverbs 26, 17. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own, so they're unwise, kind of stupid, and cruel. And, um, you know, it's just not attractive. It's just not attractive to live as a Christ follower, as a Christian, and to go around trying to stir up fights and quarrels. Matthew 5, 9, as Jesus addresses the people on the hill, he says, blessed are the what? the peacemakers, for they will be called his favorite thing, children of God. You want to be close to Jesus? Strive to be a peacemaker. And then in verses 4 and 5, he goes on and he starts to talk about a passage of scripture that, again, in church I grew up listening to and hearing this phrase, friend of the world, one of the world, and uh, he describes those who are fighting and focused on what they don't have are like those of the world. Now, he's not talking about action. They're they're out till 2 a.m. on a Saturday night when they got to serve on the Zoe serve team, you know, like they're not, they're not talking about those. They're talking about a mentality, They're talking about a dependency on God. And uh, Jesus was friends with sinners. And Chad and I believe that we as a church should love all types of people. And that as the church, that we should be the church outside of these red walls. And, um, And so what he is speaking to is not those, we can't be of the world. What he's saying is if you're of the world... You are likened to a person that is dependent on themselves to figure it out. That you're dependent on your own wants. You know, and I, you know, I think about this. I'm like, do I, do I want Jesus or do I want his stuff? Do I want the presence of God or do I want all of the blessings that he has to give me? Where am I at? And I have to look at this context and understand first how much he desires me first. And so in verses 4 and 5, he uses that. And then he, he talks about, uh, you know, one who does not 
trust in God uh, that he's still going to fight for them, that he's jealous for them. So one of the world is one that doesn't go to God and depend on God for all that he needs to be satisfied, content, fulfilled, and filled with joy. So they go choose other things and, and worldly pleasures and things that are only a monetary uh, sustenance for their soul. And, and then he starts to talk about how he's jealous for you and I. Because he desires us, because he longs for you, because he wants to be in proximity. See, this is the best because he's talking about he wants to be in a relationship with you and I. You know, in this, in this time, in this period, there was a lot of transactional trades. And so he's speaking to an audience that knows how to negotiate and make deals. And he's saying, what have we made church? But this is a relationship that Jesus is so jealous of your time, but he wants you in a relationship with you. So how do we get better at not wanting what we want? We engage in relationship with Jesus. I think talking to Jesus does our soul a lot of good. I honestly believe that. We engage in the helper. We have a good, good father that he'll take care of us because I believe that he gives us all things that pertain to life, and his desire is life abundantly. And then in verse 6, in verse 6, this is my favorite part. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out. He says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace, more than you need, more than you deserve, more than we know what to do with. Listen, I am a mom of four kids that are strong and do not behave me. I do not have all the answers. I need all the grace I can get. And there are so many times that I feel like I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not the enough for this. I'm not enough for this. I'm not enough. But if I dwell on what I don't have, I negate the fact that Jesus is there to give me more and more and more and more and more than I ever, ever, ever could comprehend. His more is far more than enough. His more is far more than enough. Grace is not just a ticket or access to eternity. It's not just an entryway into forever life. Grace is actually the empowerment for us to live a fulfilled and adventurous, amazing, beautiful life. Grace is an empowerment key for us. But we have to receive that there's more, that there's more. And then James goes on and gives instruction on how to, and he basically says this, he's, he says, submit Resist temptation, which I talked about that, I think, in week one. You know, flee from temptation. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. Receive that he's right there. He'll draw near to you. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. There's the heart. Deal with the inside of who you are. And then it says cry and mourn. And, and it, you know, it says turn your joy into mourning. You're like, wait a minute, this is backwards. He basically is saying, um, go ahead and why don't you just get to um, rock bottom. So why don't you just get to the end of yourself and then it will be the beginning of your dependency on me. 
And when you're down there, my promise is to never leave you. And my promise is to lift you up. My promise is to be present to you. My promise is to encourage you, to be your helper. I promise to never leave you and to never forsake you. I promise to be faithful to you in your adventure with Jesus. And then in verses 11 to 12 in closing, James says, look, you're going to heaven, but you're living a life that's not dependent and trusting on God. You're living a life that's not submitted to receiving God's good grace. You're trying to do it on your own. So you're fighting with your brother and your sister. And he's basically saying at the end, he's saying, how are you different than out there? How are you reflecting Christ? And I get it, we're all on a journey. Some of us are working through serious turmoil and issues. And, but how are, how are you and I actively attempting to mature as Christ's followers? And he, sa he says this in what I believe. He says that, you know, you don't speak evil against one another. And you don't judge one another. And what is he saying? He's saying choose love. Sounds silly, but he's basically saying, let's be lovers and not be fighters. Jesus is seen in our love for one another. Jesus is seen in our love for one another. Why don't you stand to your feet? In closing, John 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, let me give you a new command. Come on, how many of you guys are thankful for the new, new grace, new day? It says, love one another in the same way that what I loved you first. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. This is how everyone will recognize that you're a Christian when they see the love you have for each other, when they see the love that you have for the person within your realm, when they see the love that you have for the person that might have just started serving here but got promoted before you, when, you, when they see the love for one another to celebrate them when they got a success and to mourn with them when they need a friend, to, to, to see the love for one another, for the marginalized, for the oppressed, for the broken, to see the love for you and I, for our brothers and sisters. Can we be the church that lives as though Jesus is reflecting his love through us? Amen.